to pray for the offering. I'd be remiss to not thank God for a chance to give back to him what he's first given us. So we don't pass a plate here at the river, and uh, we just have some boxes in back that people are putting their offering in. And uh, if you're a guest here, please uh, don't feel obligated to, to give anything. Um, you're, you're here as a guest, and, and uh, we, just, we just are happy that you are here. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to give back to you first what you have first given us, Lord, through uh, tithes and offerings, Lord. We, uh, we know that you don't need our money, Lord, but we know that the church could use the funds to, uh, to uh, go forth and preach the word and to make your name known, Lord. Known, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to give. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So, thank you for that. Sorry, I forgot to add that. All right. Today's text is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. You can turn there while I share a short, short story with you. There was an old man in a church who loved God all his life. This man, who we will call John, walked around saying, God is good. He said that all the time, whenever and wherever he was. When John got married, he said, God is good. When John lost his job, he said, God is good. When John's father died, somehow he said, God is good. And when John's wallet was stolen, he said, God is good. A few months ago, John was diagnosed with cancer, and the disease spread rapidly, and he was told by his doctor that he would only have a few weeks to live. Still, even on his deathbed, John could be heard by everyone in the hospital, hospital repeating his famous line, God is good. His pastor, Charles, was John's best friend. Charles went every day to visit John at the hospital, and every night before Charles left, John would tell him, God is good. Finally, after weeks of watching his best friend get worse and worse from his ter terminal disease, Charles just could not stand it any longer, and he had to ask John. He said, John, you're my best friend, and I love you. And I love the Lord as much as you do, too. I've listened to you say that God is good your whole life through. In good times, I can understand you saying how good God is. And maybe even through the hard times to help yourself cope. But now laying here on your deathbed, how can you be so optimistic? How can you say that God is good every day when you know that he's letting you die? John just looked up at Charles and smiled and said, My dear friend, don't you see all those times I was saying God is good? It was my little way of praising him. And look what my reward is for remaining faithful. I am dying. You say God is letting me die as if that's a bad thing. Charles, have you forgotten that our goal in life is to live our life for him and then one day join him in heaven? You see, God is good 
He is finally calling me home, and in a few hours, I will be with him. I can't imagine anything greater than that. John died that night in his sleep, and Charles could only share two things at his friend's funeral. Number one, I will miss my friend, but I know that I know that I know I will see him again one day in heaven. And God is good. Let us praise the Lord in everything that comes our way, for our reward is great in heaven. Wow. John gets it. I'm not sure if I would respond the same way or not. However, this story inspires me to praise the Lord in everything that comes our way for I'm sorry. However, this story inspires me to strive to understand the goodness of God's mercy and grace the very same way that John did in the story. Please stand with me as I read today's scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good at all times and in all ways. Father, we pray that we recognize your sovereign goodness in times of plenty, peace, and joy. But may we also glorify you, our unchanging God, in times of trial, loss, and despair. God, you are our one constant in life. Cause us to walk in a way that gives you glory all the time. Amen. All right, when I say God is good, what's your response? All the time? All right, that was all right, but let's do it again. God is good. All the time? One more time, a little bit louder. God is good. All the time? Amen. Doesn't it feel good to hear everybody in here responding that God is good? Or maybe you've experienced that at a conference, or maybe a Christian concert, or maybe even at Life Fest you've heard it, and you hear 10,000 people saying it at the same time. That's awesome. That's powerful. And that's worship and praise to a king. And it's easy to shout from the mountaintops here in church or surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's also not very hard to, to proclaim God's goodness in good times. But what about the other side of the spectrum? What about in times of trial? I get that those are the times that we need God in our lives the most. 
And I find that those are the times in my life I find myself praying more. But I confess that in those times, I find it hard to look at God as good sometimes. I may find myself more angry or putting blame on or questioning him. Why are you putting me through this? You see, we like to be in control and not have any unforeseen obstacles put in our way as we walk through this thing called life. It's in those times, most importantly, that we need to remind ourselves just how good God is. We may need to be intentional and lean on him more so than usual and rely on what we know and not what we feel and be intentional to declare that no matter what, God is good. Our scripture today in verse 7 instructs us that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what are these jars of clay that Paul, the author of Corinthians, is referring about? But I guess the best way or another way to refer to that and ask that question is who are those jars of clay? Just take a moment and look around here. Look at everybody. Look at the person sitting next to you. Look at everyone in here. Everyone in here, sitting here today, is a jar of clay. Made by the potter's hand to be used as a vessel for him to pour himself into. We are his earthly vessel to hold his glory and his light for others to see him through us. And sometimes, through trials and tribulations, we find ourselves relying more on our will and our power and not opening our hearts to receive all of God's surpassing power. Maybe you can relate to this. We are taught at a very young age to be strong in the face of adversity. You know, as a kid, you're told, get up, wipe the dirt off. You know, you got a cut on your knee, your dad will tell you, it's a long ways from the heart, don't worry about it, you know. I mean, I've, he's used that phrase with me a long time, you know, many times. And we're also taught to get back in the fight. And the world don't owe us nothing. That if we want something, we need to do it ourselves. And we need to make it on our own. And it's that type of mentality, that type of thinking, that, is, that can and has hardened us or caused us to be guarded. To stand as if we have the power in and of ourselves to face the trials and tribulations without the surpassing power of God. And this is not a part of God's good design. It's definitely not what the potter had in mind when he created us to be his vessels. You see, brothers and sisters, or should I say fellow clay pots, all that is good is from God, and, we and when we allow it, God will pour beauty, grace, and his surpassing power into us to shine through us for others to see. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. 
In Romans, we're reminded that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That's not saying that God works just some things, okay? It's saying that God works all things for those who love him. What it doesn't say here is God works for those who are the most obedient to him. That's not saying God works for those who have perfect attendance at church year in and year out. That we do because God first loved us. And it's not, also not saying that he loves us, he loves those who pray more than others, study more than others, and also sin less than others. No, it says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Yep, even you, myself included. That's reassuring God's goodness. Now I can go on and on with story upon story, scripture upon scripture of the goodness of God. However, I don't want to focus on how good God is. I would like to focus on the fact that he is good all the time. That is a constant trait. I don't even know if that's the right word. But that's a constant promise that we have about God that he is and forever will be good. So, what will be a good definition of all the time? Google says it means at all times. Is anybody else, anything else that they want to add? What would all the time mean? Throw out an adjective, anything. What's that? 24-7, perfect. Every time. All year. Amen. God is good. When? All the time. God is good. All the time. Amen. So that leads me to my next question. What else in our lives can we say that about? Or maybe it doesn't have to be in our lives. What else within this world can we say is good all the time? Can we be like John and in our story say that God is good all the time through all his circumstances? Let's start with growing up. Maybe you had a good childhood. I can speak into mine only and tell you that I remember very little of my childhood. As around the sixth grade, my parents took our family through a very bitter and abusive divorce. Myself and my siblings witnessed arguments and physical confrontations that no kid should witness their parents doing. Where was the good in that? I can tell you, I felt abandoned and mad. I was mad at God, even though I knew very little of him at the time. But as I look back on that time, I see how God used it for good. He instilled in me the importance of love and the importance to have God in the center of your life as well as in your marriage. Can you honestly say that all your relationships 
are good all the time? Can you say that you've never... Excuse me for a second. Can you say that you never have any animosity between your friendships with other people? Maybe one of your friends has offended you in one way or another, or maybe you've offended a friend. And you go a couple days, months, maybe years, because neither one of you were able to forgive the other one. What about coworkers? Everything's always good at work, right? I bet every one of you in here has a story or two to share about the time you had a little spat with a coworker. I love my job, right? So who's good all the time? God. Amen. What can we say about relationships within our family? Yeah, they're good all the time. Have you ever had a strained relationship with one of your kids? It's hard. I've seen fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, brothers and sisters go months without so much as a phone call because of an argument or some unsolicited advice given by one or the other. And how dare they not let you see your grandkids at that time. But it happens. And that's not good all the time. It's not good any time. And the thing about time is we can't get any of it back. And then with relationships, we come to marriage. Yikes. If my wife has been checked out up to this point in the sermon, she's all ears now. In good times and bad. We've had our share of both. Good times and bad times. But with God and by His grace, we've been able to get through the bad trials, the bad or the trials we've had at times. And two days ago, we celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. Lots and lots of good in those years. But to say that our relationship was good all the time, that would be a stretch. I mean, stop and think about it. Who is your closest friend? I hope those of you that are married in here can answer that and say, it's my wife or it's my husband. Next to God, there's nobody that knows you more intimately than your spouse. You're doing life together, so everything that affects you affects them in, in turn. The stress, or let's just say the bad times, are going to be there. Not all the time, and not most of the time, but as you walk through life together, it's going to be there. After the wedding, you start to build your life together. Your money becomes our money. You open a checking account together. And you need to be accountable to each other with what or how much you're spending on one thing or another. Wait a minute. I'm not used to that. Or maybe you look at purchasing a new vehicle. And for men, it's what type of vehicle I should get. For women, it might be what color. It happens. It's happened in mine, so. Uh, or maybe you're looking into a house to buy, and that could put stress on a relationship. And then you get through all that, and the family starts to grow. And you do this thing called parenting together. 
It's time for a pep talk here. God is good. All the time. Amen. We need that. The joy of parenting. Learning to do that together as husband Excuse me for a second. The joy of parenting, learning to do that together as husband and wife, can be a joy, and it could be a challenge, because all of a sudden, it's not just the two of you sharing time with someone. You're sharing time with someone who demands a lot of your time. And then your family grows to two or three or four or more. And just when you and your spouse have it all figured out, enter the teenage years. Or... As I have sometimes referred to it, it's the us against them years. That's definitely not good all the time. This is a time that our children are becoming more independent and seeking their own identity. One moment they needed you for most everything. And now you're supposed to sit on the sidelines and watch them figure it all out. And it's hard to adjust to that. The one moment you look forward to is at the end of the day when you get that five or ten minutes alone with your spouse to praise God for who he is and what he has given you in your life, and then you can rest and get ready to face tomorrow. And then as parents, we blink, and your children are now adults, no longer at home, and then you learn how to live as empty nesters. You're once chaotic, time-pressed, always needed life is done for the most part. The house is now quiet and you and your spouse have to adjust once again to the new normal. My wife and I are not quite there at that point yet. Though the house is a little quieter at night, it's not as full as it once was. And we know that if we open our hearts to receive God's surpassing power, meaning to put God first, be it individually or within our marriage, we know that that that's his design. And when, not if, the storms come, God will be there to walk with and lead and protect us at all times and in all things. God is good. All the time. Now, I want to take a moment to apologize. The last 10 minutes, I was talking about relationships. But I'm just trying to illustrate that sometimes life isn't always good within your relationships. I'm trying to illustrate the fact that only God is good all the time. There are so many other things that ran through my head to use to illustrate that God is good and other things aren't good all the time. Can everybody say your finances are good all the time? Can we all say that our career choice is good all the time? Or like in our story today with John, can we say that our health is good all the time? And the list goes on and on and on how things that may be good some of the time or most of the time in this world are not going to be good all the time. That is reserved for the creator of good. By design, God allows us to bend and not to break. As our scripture today says, we are pressed on every side but not crushed. It goes on and says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Meaning, 
that you may not understand why you're going through the trials in life presently. But be still. Peace can be found in him. And as we turn to him more and more, our adversary is going to step up his game as well. He will use every weapon in his arsenal to persecute you. Shame, regret, guilt, to name a few. And in some cases, we take ownership of his attacks. Scripture goes on and says, He alone will not abandon you. God wins every time. At times in this world, we may feel struck down by one thing or another, but God will never, ever allow us to be destroyed. That's a promise. And we need to take comfort in this. And I get it, and I've said it, and I've, I've, I've uh, responded to it, you know. But I get it. It's hard. I find myself at times becoming very anxious because of my lack of uh, patience on God. And no good comes from that. But what we see today in our lesson, that through all the trials, God is going to allow us to feel the weight of something for a reason. And though we may not understand, we do need to acknowledge that he alone is good and that we are his creation being used for his purpose. And because of this, we will not be forsaken. And by design, this is so. In our reading today, Scripture says that we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Pastor Scott, before he left on vacation, just got done doing a three-week sermon series on picking up our cross daily. The author of today's lesson says that we carry around the death of Jesus in reference to literally picking it up and carrying it in our hearts so that Jesus is seen through us in our actions and reactions to the world that needs to know him. We are not to be surprised by the trials or tests, as our scriptures today tells us. He or we who are alive, that's us. We are alive in Christ. Are given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal, mortal body. We live in a fallen world that is for the most part far from God. And we are to be given over to death, given over to the things of this world is all part of God's plan. But by his suppressing goodness, he allows us to persevere so that we rise up, stand up, and speak up and share the gospel and what Jesus has done and continues to do for those who love him. So we listened to me talk the last few minutes or 20 minutes about the goodness of God and the fact that he alone is good all the time. However, that doesn't help to explain why it's hard sometimes or why life is hard sometimes or why bad things happen to good people. And I'll be honest, I wish I had or understood the answer to that question.
All I can say is that turn to Jesus and find rest until that day comes that you're able to understand and see the goodness of God within your trials. So in closing, I'd like to take a moment and share four reasons why we face trials and why life can be hard. Reason number one, life is hard because the world is broken. The world has been a broken place since the fall of man in the garden. And as a result of this, nothing is as it should be. Life was made more difficult than it should be. Just read Genesis to learn more about creation and the fall. God has us in this fallen world not to condemn or be forgotten by him. If that were so, he would not have sent his help in the form of the Holy Spirit to be poured into us and to lead us. Number two, life is hard because of you and me. Life is sometimes made hard because we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. We make the choice to sin both accidentally and intentionally. And we may find that life is harder because of this. But God will never leave us in our sin. In his goodness, he offers an opportunity to confess and to be forgiven. Three, sometimes life is hard because someone has sinned against us. We don't need to look any further in the Bible than the book of Job. <clears throat> God basically let Satan use the trials in life to turn this man's life upside down. Yet, never did Job turn against God, the Creator. Sometimes people do bad things to good, innocent people. Just look at what happened to Jesus. Horrible death on the cross, yet it had great purpose behind it all. Purpose of forgiveness and cleanliness for all who believe. Brothers and sisters, the same hate, sickness, and sin is alive and well in the world today. Terrible acts are being carried out by horrible people because of sin. And point number four is life is hard because God is good. Many of life's difficulties, let me rephrase that, life is hard because God is so, so good. We can't even think about that and get to that point in our thinking here because of the way the world is. But many of life's difficulties are by design. Notice I didn't say all. Some are a result of this fallen world. Through many of life's difficulties, we are made to be more like Jesus, made to rely on him more, made to persevere, and made to turn to God for peace and understanding. God longs to be needed by you. He alone is good, is good and he alone is perfect. So, in closing, my question to you is what are you up against, O clay pot? Whatever it is, the power of God surpasses it. But if you're trying to come against it with all your might and energy, you will break. 
You might find some success at the start, but your might and energy will weaken. Rest instead in Christ, abide in him, and allow his life to flow into you, O clay pot, and you will find the surpassing power of God at your disposal. Amen.